So I am the college director here at Stillwater Bible, which means I spend most of my time here in this closet. I don't come out much. Um, but I have the honor and privilege of teaching Go Groups this morning. So uh, as you guys know, this whole morning is dedicated to the UK mission trip that we went on last month, and that's no different with the Grow Groups. So we're going to be studying Becoming Better Evangelists, and we're going to be looking at a passage that we studied while in England. And some of these principles that we're going to be talking about this morning uh, really helped us to be better evangelists while we are in England. So we're going to be talking a lot about that. Um, so we're going to see three things this morning. We're going to see what does every human being know. We're going to see what is every human being's natural response. And then also, how can we use this information to become more effective in evangelism? Uh, so what does every human being know? And then how do they respond to that knowledge? And then using that information to be better evangelists. And the goal is that by learning more about evangelism, we will not just be hearers of the word, but doers. That we will be obedient Christians who make evangelism not just something we do, but part of who we are. So in other words, evangelism isn't just like this activity we do on the weekend or something like, oh, I'm going to go do evangelism, but rather that it's part of who we are. It's our lifestyle so that we become not evangelists, but evangelistic people. Um, so we're going to be Romans chapter 1, verse 18. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, and while you turn to Romans 1, 18, uh, I just want to do a brief review, talk about the Great Commission, because we're talking about evangelism this morning. So most of you know the Great Commission is Matthew 28, 18 through 20, which says, all authority has been given to me, this is Jesus speaking, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And by the way, I don't know if you knew this. Did you guys know that the Bible actually teaches that you shouldn't fly? Yeah, he says, it's low that I'm with you always. So, yeah. But you didn't know that. So anyway, uh, the Great Commission, what, there are two aspects to the Great Commission. Uh, what are they? We, we know this. There's evangelism and training, right? So this morning, we're going to be looking at evangelism. Uh, so there are two aspects. But evangelism, notice that we are commanded to evangelize. So... This isn't an option. We're commanded to evangelize, and therefore, if we're not evangelizing, we're sinning. I don't know if you've thought of it that way, but think about uh, many of you guys are parents. You've had kids, and if you tell your child, hey, don't eat a cookie, and they eat a cookie, you get them in trouble, right? They're not supposed to eat a cookie. They did what they weren't supposed to do, and that's what's known as a sin of commission. So I do something I'm not supposed to do, but think about if, I, if you had a kid and you told them, clean your room. And then a few hours later, you come into the room, and it's just as awful as it was before. There's clothes everywhere. What, what are you going to do? You're going to get them in trouble because they didn't do what you told them to do. And it's the same way with us. We are told to do the Great Commission. We are told to evangelize and train. So if we're not doing it, that's a sin of omission. We've omitted a command that God has given us. So it's really important that we talk about evangelism. Uh, I also want to point out, uh, JB just recently concluded the series on the Holy Spirit, and one of the lessons was spiritual gifts. And we saw that one of the spiritual gifts that we have, or that some people have, is evangelism. So God gives a, gives a gift of evangelism, but not all have this gift, yet all are called to do it. So here's the secret. I, I don't have the gift of evangelism either. It, like, I get the butterflies, and I don't like it, and it kind of, uh, just the other day, I was at the union with Rodney, one of my friends, and we were like, hey, let's go share the gospel with people. And as soon as I told him, let's do that, I was also like, I hope that nobody wants to talk, you know? <laughs> so I don't have the gift of evangelism, but I'm still called to do it. 
just like Garrett taught in Grow Groups not too long ago, that not everyone has the gift of teaching, yet we're called to do it, right? So these are things that we're all called to do. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll dive into the passage. God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that we can know it and that we can study it, but I pray that we don't, that we don't just learn it and, and be a well of knowledge, but that we be a river of knowledge, that we take what we know and that we actually apply it and we carry it forward. And so I pray that you will illuminate your word with this study and that you will bless those who hear it. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Romans chapter 1. We're going to be looking at this passage and we're going to see, first off, what does every human being know? Everyone knows the sky's blue, right? But we're going to see a few things about what does every human being know about God? So have that in mind as we're reading this passage. What does every human being know? Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says, and we're going to be going through the end of the chapter, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse." For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God, nor give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For the women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer... God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, their gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, all of these things, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Golly, what a list. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. So that's a pretty heavy passage. But we see in this passage, there are several things that it says are evident to all mankind. So first of all, the wrath of God is revealed. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. So man is ungodly, man is unrighteous, and his wrath has been revealed against it. We see that in verse 18. Uh, next, in verse 19, we see that uh, God's attributes, it says that which is evident, uh, that which is known about God is evident within them. And notice that God made it evident to them. God made it evident. Um, and then in verse 20, it actually gives us a list of those attributes. Uh, it says his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature. And notice this. This is really cool. It says that these things have been clearly seen and understood. So the things about God, who he is, what he's like, has been clearly seen and it's been understood. Then we see in verse 21, uh, they knew God. 
And then we see, if you jump all the way down to verse 32, so we'll come back to the rest of this passage in a minute, but go down to verse 32, and it says that they know the ordinance of God, so the God's law, that those uh, who practice such things are worthy of death. So they know the consequence of violating God's law. You see this? This is every human being knows that there's a wrath against their ungodliness, knows what God is like, they, they know that God exists, and they know God's law, that they deserve death. So if you think about it this way, every man knows the bad news part of the bad news, good news message, right? So when you think about the Romans road, they know Romans 3.23 that all have sinned. They know that they violated God's law. They know Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. They know the bad news. The only thing they don't know is the rescue plan. And that's our job as believers. The only thing that they don't know is the gospel. And so what we're talking about here is sort of the preliminary work of the gospel because you have people who uh, know these things, but we're going to see the natural response. So uh, just a summary is God's existence. They know God's existence. They know God's attributes. They know God's wrath. And they know God's law and its consequences. Um. So the next thing we're going to see is what is every human being's natural response. And before we do that, let me just ask a question. Uh, how many of you guys have ever tried to hold a ball underwater? Like a beach ball or a basketball? A few? Yeah? Okay. What's it like? What's it like trying to hold the ball underwater? It's, it's tough, right? It wants to come up, right? It takes an active determination to hold it down. Uh, what happens as soon as you move your hands? Just hits you in the face, right? So that's what we want to do with the gospel because we're going to see that the first natural response, the first natural response um, is that they suppress the truth. And I put this chart in your notes. Um, if you see there, this is not in chronological order. This isn't how it appears in the passage, but I sort of categorized it, so how they respond to the different things that they know. Uh, but let's go through it. So we see, going back to verse 18, that the wrath of God is revealed against those who suppress the truth. So think about it like a ball underwater. Think about it as someone who knows that there's a God, but they hate him, so they hold it down, right? And our goal is not to prove to them that the ball exists. Our goal is to move their hands. So get them out of their own way. That's why this is preliminary work, because we live in a world where people say that truth is subjective. There's no such thing as an absolute reality, and the Bible isn't God's word. So it's really hard to do evangelism when as soon as you drop the name Jesus, people say, I, I don't want to talk about that. Right? Have you guys had that happen? Especially on campus at OSU, it's really hard to do evangelism when as soon as you mention truth, reality, or God, they shut up. They don't want to talk to you anymore. So our goal is to generate the conversation and get them arguing for the existence of God on your behalf. And we'll see how we'll do that. Um, so we want to move their hands, so to speak, because they're expressing the truth. They're suppressing the truth. We see in verse 21 that they do not honor God nor give thanks. So they know that God exists, and their response is that they suppress the truth, they exchange the truth for a lie, and they don't acknowledge God any longer. They respond to who God is. They know who God is. They know what he's like. They respond by not honoring him, even though they know what he's like, and by exchanging the glory of God for idols. And I just want to point out, so it says this, uh, in verse 23, it says, They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over. Uh, verse 25, uh, they worshiped and served the creature rather than creator. 
We see this a lot, right? Worshiping of the creature rather than the creator. We see that with um, the green movement. We see that with things like PETA, uh, where there's, we're all, of course, we're called to be good stewards of God's creation, but there's a difference between being a steward of God's creation and worshiping the creation, right? So we see this in our culture, but notice that you could basically break that down into idolatry. They're worshiping anything other than the creator. And notice that this is every human being's natural response. So we have this tendency to look at this passage and be like, whoa, glad I'm not like that, right? But we are. We also have these same tendencies. So if, if the natural response is idol worship, then you have to ask yourself, am I doing idol worship? Are there things I place before God in my own life? And it can be something good. It can be your job. It can be your hobby. It can be your family, your wife, your kids. You take something that's good and you corrupt it because you've exchanged God's glory. So we have the same natural responses. Um, We also see that men and women abandon the natural function for that which is unnatural. And of course, this is talking about uh, sexual practices, right? But the principle carries over that what is our natural function? What did God create us to do? We're created to serve the Lord, right? And so all of us suffer from exchanging our natural function for that which is unnatural. So we need to watch out because if, if we start to look like this list, if we start to do the things that they do, then we can't shine as lights in the world. We can't shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Does that make sense? So don't look at this list and think like, man, glad I'm not like that. We all have these natural tendencies. But notice that we can use this information, that all of these being filled with unrighteousness, the, the suppression of the truth, the exchanging of the truth of God for a lie. We can use this information to be, oops, to be more effective in evangelism. And uh, Alan Campbell, he's the associate pastor at the church in England, uh, he put it this way. He, he's Northern Irish, so he says it like this. They know God, but they hate him because they love their sin. Um, so they know God, but they hate him because they love their sin, right? And, and think about that. How many of you guys know an unbeliever? Most of us. And does this describe them? They, they know God, but they hate him because why? Because his wrath has been revealed against their unrighteousness. So they know that if God is real, then their unrighteousness is not going to be tolerated. And so rather than worship God, they exchange the truth for a lie and they suppress it because they hate him. Does that make sense? A couple verses for that. Um, You don't need to turn there. I'll read them for you. John 3, 19 uh, says, This is the judgment that the light has come into the world. That's Jesus. The light has come into the world. And men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. And then the other verse, 2 Thessalonians 2.12, puts it this way. It says, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. So the antithesis to believing the truth is taking pleasure in your wickedness. You see that? that because I take pleasure in my wickedness, I don't believe the truth. So that's what the unbelievers are doing. But don't take it from Alan Campbell, a pastor. Don't take it from me. Take it from an atheist. Here's a quote from Stephen Fry. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of him before. He's a, a leading atheistic speaker. Um, he, he also narrated 
uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So he's that voice, you know, classic English narrator. Uh, so he puts it this way, and he's English. So he says, atheism is not just about not believing there's a God, but on the assumption that there is one, what kind of a God is he? It is perfectly apparent that he's monstrous, utterly monstrous. Okay? He deserves no respect whatsoever. The moment you banish him, your life becomes simpler, purer, cleaner, more worth living. Wow. So even he says that atheism is not about not believing there's a God, but on the assumption that there is one, I hate him. He gives a whole speech about how he hates God because there's disease, because there are insects, all these things. And he says, it's clear he's monstrous. I don't want anything to do with him. If he exists, I don't want him. That's atheism. So now you're sitting here thinking, okay, so what? So now we know they hate God. Great. How does that help? We're going to use this information to become more effective evangelists. And like I said, we're going to be talking in terms of moving their hands, demonstrating to them what they already know. So here are some principles that we can glean from it. We can be conversational and relate on a human level. You're thinking like, what? Okay, what do you mean? Well, if they know things like there's a such thing as sin, that they deserve death, that there's a certain things that every human being knows, then you can talk to them about those things that they know. Um, so before we even do that, one of the things that I like to do is just start a conversation about whatever. So uh, the other day, there was a guy sitting at the Union, and he's wearing a St. Louis Cardinals shirt. And if you know me, you know I love baseball, but I hate the Cardinals. Sorry. Uh, so I came up, and I was like, hey, you a Cardinals fan? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, well, I'm a Rangers fan. And he was like, sorry about the World Series. Me too. Um, so then we just got to talking. I learned that, yeah, he's from Missouri. He went for undergrad there. Now he went to grad school in Georgia. Now he's a professor here at Oklahoma State. All right? Just gathered that from talking. And all of a sudden, here's the amazing thing. When you're conversational with people, you actually care. And I know it sounds bad, but I don't know about you guys. I've had the experience where I go, there's a guy sitting there. I'm like, well, I better share the gospel. So I come up and I give him a gospel tract. And he's like, mm, not for me. And I'm like, okay, you're lost. Right? And I, I, I've not invested in him. I haven't gotten to know him. So I actually don't really care, which sounds bad. It sounds bad, but it's true. Sometimes I, I should care, but I don't. But when you start a conversation, you get to know him, all of a sudden it's like, man, this professor guy, I want him to be saved. He loves baseball. Like, got to have that. So you, you, you care about people, and then they care about you. Because once they trust you and they see that you care about them, then they have more reason to trust God and a God who cares about them. Does that make sense? So we want to be relatable. Uh, we can also speak boldly because we know they know the truth. Think, think about this. Uh, what is the percentage of atheists in the United States? Does anybody know? Um, let me tell you. Based on this passage, I would say zero. Zero percent. Because they know that God exists, but they're suppressing the truth. Does that make sense? So when someone tells you, oh, I don't believe in God, you just have to override that in your mind and say, they're lying to me. They just don't like God. They just hate him. So how do you get them to see that? You can speak boldly because we know they know the truth. And we can convict their hearts rather than attempting to convince their intellect. Because think of it this way. If they hate the light because they fear that it will expose their darkness, then they're going to do whatever they can to stay out of the light. So if you want to talk to them about their sin and about God's righteousness, if you want to talk to them about their deserving of death, what are they going to bring up? Uh, uh, evolution, right? Astrophysics. They don't want to talk about the heart. They want to talk about the mind. They want to stay where it's comfortable. 
So your job is to say, look, we're not talking about creationism. We're not talking about the inerrancy of scripture or how that works. We're simply talking about what you know is true and what I know you know is true, and that's that there's a God, that he's holy, and that you deserve death, but there's a way out. And you convict their hearts rather than attempting to convince their intellect. And I, I got to tell you, it sounds really rough, this approach, to be so bold. And yet, it's effective. I, I can't even tell you how effective it was when we were in England. It's amazing because it's true. So we can be conversational and we can relate. And we can speak boldly because we know they know the truth. And we can convict their hearts rather than attempting to convince their intellect. So here's some of the things. Uh, oh, there's a summary. Um, let me just sort of give a demonstration, an illustration of how this works. Because you might be asking, okay, great. They hate God. How do I use this? Okay, we be conversational. We speak boldly, right? Well, here's what we would actually do when we would go to England. We'd come up to somebody. There's a person right here, by the way. Uh, we would come up, and we would just say, like, hey, do you mind if I ask you? It's like, this is a really weird question. Can I ask you a weird question? And they're like, already their mind's interested. Like, okay, surely it's not too weird for me, right? And so you just ask them, can I ask the weird question? They're like, yeah, go ahead. And we say, okay. This is really weird. Do you think it's okay to eat babies? And let me tell you, okay, yeah. Uh, you see, it's fun. It, it's so funny because you see their face and they're like, that's not what they're expecting, all right? And it's, it, it makes it more fun for you too. You should enjoy evangelism. Uh, and so then they're just sort of like, what are you even asking? And yeah, yeah, is it okay to eat babies? And they're like, well, of course not. And yeah, okay, yeah, I agree. It's not okay. Of course it's not okay to eat babies. Why is it not okay? What do you think makes it not okay, though? And they, well, I, I don't know. I, I guess uh, we have laws that say it's not okay. And you're like, okay, yeah, that's true. What about in a society where laws say it's okay to kill people? Then is it okay? Well, no. Okay, so like in Nazi Germany, they, they said it's okay to kill Jews. I guess it's okay under their laws, right? Well, no, no, it's still not okay. Like, oh, okay. So I guess it's not laws then. Maybe... Maybe it comes from people. I'm like, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I, I give you value. And so that means it's not okay for me to kill you because you're contributing to society. I'm like, okay. So what about someone who doesn't contribute to society? What about someone who, for whatever reason, whether it's injury, whether it's a natural deformity, whatever, they, they can't work? They can't produce for society? Do they not have worth? Can we kill them? Like, well, no. And of course not. They know that. They know these things. So even as they tell you, I'm a relativist, there's no such thing as absolute truth, there's no such thing as morality, they know men have, wa- have value. They know these things. And so you can use that to your advantage. And now they're making the argument for God. Because they're telling you, I know that man has value, I know it's not okay to kill, but I don't know why. And at this point, you haven't even said the word God, you haven't even mentioned Jesus, you don't even have a Bible in your hand, you're just talking. And so then... You just look at them and you say, do you mind if I tell you what I think, where I think it comes from? And at this point, you've shaken their worldview because here they have this worldview that everything is subjective, that man has evolved, that we're just skin and bones and organs and, and that we're the result of particles banging together and all of a sudden now, here we go, we have a human. So why does that have value? They don't know the answer. They don't know how to reconcile their worldview with what they know is true. There's a gap. So you look at them and you say, can I tell you what I think? And they're like, yes, please. <laughs> you've racked my brain here. And 
You say, I, I think it comes from God. I think we're made in his image. I think that's what gives us value. I think he has a law. I think he's perfect. He's just. And so if we were to kill, that would be violating that law. And all of a sudden they're like, whoa. You moved their hands, right? So now they're open to the idea of God. Does this make them Christians? No. But now they, they've seen that the only thing that's consistent with what they believe is that there's a God. The only thing consistent with what they know about morality, about human life, is that there's a God, that their own worldview can't match up. And so now you can start the conversation. So like I said, this is all preliminary work. So now you can say, and let me tell you, if there's this God, and they, they know this, if there's this God who's perfect, who has a wrath against unrighteousness, then we all deserve death, right? Otherwise, he's not just. He, if he doesn't punish sin, he's not a just God. So it, we would have the same conversation with Muslims, and, and they would say things like, well, yes, you're right, there's wrath, but God is, God is merciful, God is loving, he's Allah. You say, yeah, I agree, but isn't he also just? Doesn't he have to punish sin? If I stole your car, and then I went to court, and the judge said, I'm feeling loving today. Don't worry about it. I'm, I'm upset. Like, that guy stole my car, right? And so we have, to, we have to paint the picture that there's a just God who must punish sin, but he did. He punished it for you. And so once you share the gospel, because we know the gospel, right? We know that it's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know that he offers eternal life to anyone who believes. That's the easy part. The hard part is getting them to be willing to listen. But once you do, they're much more open to it. They're much more res- receptive to it. And so that's our goal. So be conversational, be relatable, speak boldly, and convict their hearts. Let's do some application. Do not just know the gospel, but be bold in sharing it, right? Because we all know the gospel, but does that mean that we share it? So what's our purpose of coming here on Sunday mornings? Is it to just build up knowledge Or is it to use that knowledge to actually make an impact for Christ? If we come here to sit in a chair and and learn how to put the scripture together to rightly divide the word of truth, we're only getting half of it. Because there's no point in rightly dividing the word of truth if we're not then taking that and passing it on, if we're not actually applying what we know. And we know the gospel, so share it. Second, do not just do evangelism, but be evangelistic, right? So don't just, well, it's Saturday, I guess I'll go out and pass out a few leaflets, but actually make it part of your lifestyle. And what this looks like uh, in England, we went to the coffee shop and the associate pastor there, the guy, the barista who made his coffee, he just handed him a little gospel tract afterwards. He's like, hey, thanks for making my coffee. Here's something for you. And they're like, okay, and they read it. Um, Or when we're waiting for the crosswalk, for the light to turn green, we're standing there, we're about to cross, there's a guy right there. Hey, uh, do you know Jesus? Do you mind if I talk to you about it? Making it part of as you're going, right? So that's our goal. Don't just do evangelism, but be evangelistic. 